0: this week's Failed Critic Podcast. I'm Steve Norman and I'm joined by James Diamond.
1: Good evening.
0: Sherry McCauley.
1: Good afternoon.
0: And Owen Hughes. Good morning. There you go, pick whichever one for whichever <laughs> time of day you're listening to this. And uh, So yes, this week we'll uh we'll be reviewing Seven Psychopaths among a few other things, obviously what we've been watching like usual, and a bit of movie news which James will start us off with.
2: Yeah, um well, the main thing is uh this week the long list for the Academy Award um, Beth's documentary picture was published I just found it quite interesting because it's been a really good year for documentaries this year um, which may well come up in our end of year review and things like that but I did find it quite interesting to see, um, there's a, been a long list of 15, it's going to be whittled down to 5 in January Um a lot of big names have made it on. So, The Imposter, which is one of my top three films of the year so far, uh, has made it on. Searching for Sugar Man has made it on to the list, as has Bully, the Miramax, well, not Miramax, but the Harvey Weinstein backed film where they, um, threatened to take the, uh, well, the equivalent of the, who's the American kind of censors, the people who do the certificates? I can't remember their name now. Oh, I know who you like mean, they, I just can't think. They gave it an R rating um and uh Weinstein threat because of language and weinstein threatened to um show it uncertificated basically uh because of that so that 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 was quite interesting also the um the i y y never is that how you said the chinese artist uh never sorry his documentaries on that as is this is not a film which was in the sight and sound end of year lists as well um but Hero Dreams of Sushi and the Queen of Versailles didn't make it. And I was quite surprised to see the Queen of Versailles didn't make it. I've not seen it myself, but I've heard very, very good things. It's a, it's a, it starts off as a documentary about a family in America in the economic boom times, building the biggest um, residential house ever created. And then the credit crunch hits. And the, the documentary is originally about this house that they're building and then all of a sudden the documentary comes about this family who have lost loads of money and can't do what they want to do now. And apparently that's a fascinating documentary, sure I definitely want to try and get to see that. So it was that's the main... The, sorry, What to was that, sorry? The Guardian Top Ten Films of the Year list Yes, they've putting out now, that was one of the choices, I think, about seven or eight. Yeah, yeah, and uh, oh, it's one of the top. films I'd tried to get to see at Sundance London earlier in the year, but I couldn't get tickets to it, and... Um, yeah, it, it looks really, really good, and I missed it when it came round my local cinema as well because it was only there for about three days or something. Um, At least it arrived. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Um, the other, the other big news this week was that the uh, um, Les Misérables was uh, premiered in London, and it's premiered to very good reviews so far, and I'm I'm very excited that it's going to be a main review for us next next month. That's all. <laughs> mm. <laughs>
0: Yay!
2: Yeah. <Keep you> <laughs> yeah,
0: musicals brilliant. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I promise you one a year yeah, I promise you we'll only ever do one musical a year on Fail Critics. We did um did Rock of Ages this year. Um which I've had a weird hankering to see this week. I don't believe it. Anyone who remembers my my contributions to the review of it on here will probably be astounded. But I've had a weird hankering to watch again and I don't know where that's come from. I've no idea why. It's but, messaging. but I kind of want to watch it again. Why? What's wrong with me? I I genuinely don't know why. I kind of want to watch it again. I don't know if it's the crew's performance or maybe
0: maybe it's like maybe for you it was like you know in one of the last series of Lost where they got that guy in the room with his eyes pinned open watching all these weird images. Maybe it's like that for you and yeah.
2: Yeah, maybe I'm like um Alex in uh, Clockwork Orange. Yeah, maybe that's what's happening. But I genuinely kind of want to watch it again. I, I don't know what's... But anyway, enough of that. Mm. <laughs> Shuddering.
0: So, I suppose what we've been watching this week, and I want to start us off this week, because I've watched two varying films, and, well, one of them was putting this podcast theory of we, we can watch anything that's got Dwayne The Rock Johnson in it to the mm. test by watching Journey to the Mysterious Island
2: Steve went the extra mile this week mm. yeah, yeah that, that <laughs> is you, do you know what Doug we, we applaud you that is that is journalism and that's all a prize winning journalism really. <laughs>
0: and then I also watched one of the all time classic films starring James Stewart it's a wonderful life for the first yeah. time ever although it didn't seem like the first time ever um, mm. so which one would you like me to review in more detail Podcast friends,
2: Journey Two. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to say Journey Two because um, we've been talking about a a triple bill um, about our favourite Christmas films, and I can see it's a Wonderful Life turning up in there. I cannot see Journey Two ever being mentioned again on this podcast, so I'd rather hear more. About okay.
0: <laughs> well, Journey Two stars Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Also, I should really start saying it's a sequel to Journey to the Center of the Earth starring Brendan Fraser that I've not seen. Now, the kid in this film is a bit older than he was in the first film, but he's the same kid. Brendan Fraser's his uncle, but Brendan Fraser's not in this film. I don't know why. But the, yes. ro- the Even ro-
2: Brendan Fraser has too much credibility to do a sequel to him. No, I, I think it's the case that Brendan Fraser just can't get in films for love normally these <laughs> days. <laughs>
0: it's all downhill since George of the Jungle for him. Yeah. Um, But yes, yeah, so rather than having Brendan Fraser as his uncle, he's now got Dwayne the Rock Johnson as his stepdad, and Michael Caine as his granddad on his I father's love side. because my
2: stepdad. Imagine. I'm already sold on this. <laughs> Michael Caine, granddad. And, yeah. Oh my wait, god, that's, that's just that's a dream.
0: So anyway, yeah. he's he's well into his Jules Verne novels and thinks there's all more to it than that, and um. His family are well into it. He calls them Vernians. Actually, I like the idea of the story in this film. It's just a terrible film, but the idea is quite good. In the film, he's been getting um, you know coded messages from his granddad, who's Michael Caine, who's on this mysterious island. That turns out the mysterious island is a combination of an island from a Jules Verne book, Treasure Island, and the island from Gulliver's Travels. It's all the same place and it really exists. So. And he's really miserable and fed up at school and doesn't like it at home. And The Rock is not only some a former Navy SEAL, but apparently an expert cartographer and, and a brilliant scientist because he knows all kinds of science. We'll come on to that later. So they end up finding the island, meeting... um, What's her name? Vanessa Hudgens, is it? Who was in that high school musical thing. And, and uh, her dad in Palau, who is played by... Uh, Louis Guzman, who's the most annoying character I've ever seen in a film ever. I just wanted him to die throughout. <laughs> I, I just wish death on him. Um, so they go to the island and they find his his granddad, who's Michael Caine. And then the island's sinking, so they got to get off in Captain Nero's submarine. But Captain Nero's dead, obviously, because he's like really old. But he's dead. Um, I just... <laughs> like I said, the idea for this film's quite good, like an adventure based on. Jules Verne's novels, kind of yeah, with that as a background, and the film actually looks quite good in parts. But it's just like there's no time for dialogue or to expand the characters. It's just this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens, There's no time to like expand the story or expand the characters or anything. I mean, there's some bits that are quite good, like the rock in it has when he has a bit of dialogue, he can be actually quite funny, and you know he can be kind of you know quite good. And Michael Caine's the same. And those two interacting have the potential to be sort of quite good, but it just doesn't happen. And but it's all too much set pieces. There's no kind of, you know, story or plot. It's all just like, all right, this has happened. Now the island's going to sink, so we've got to do this. But the island's going to sink quicker, so now we've got to hurry up and do this. But this has happened. And then <laughs> someone's fallen over and broken their leg. And Lewis Guzman is really irritating and needs to die. <laughs>
1: Because I'm the dialogue, Steve.
0: More or less, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then they set it up for a sequel, part of a trilogy, where they'll end up doing another Jules Verne uh, novel and going to the moon. Uh, I don't know if Brendan Fraser will come back for that, but The Rock probably will. I
1: hope not. <laughs> no. he went through a phase of just being in loads of Disney films, I mean, he and he se- taking he loads he of money. He, for, he, like,
0: seems to have t- he seems to have like two roles. One is like all-out action film, which is what he's probably best at. And then he does seem to do a lot of like kids' films, where they're real kid-friendly, yeah. but he seems to be like a like a strong, hard role in that, but like someone's he dad or step-dad. basically a
2: new Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Yes, wasn't,
0: was... wasn't he in like one film where he was like an American football player, and then it turned out he had a daughter out of nowhere that he had to look after?
1: Yeah, I've, I've actually seen that one. <laughs> the Game Plan. <laughs> it's called The Game Plan. It's terrible. It's yeah. as bad as the premise. And then was. And it made, it, made me really, well, it made me really sad that The Rock was in it. And I then... want The Rock to be an action hero. Mm. He, he had the potential around sort of 2005, or 2008, or sort of in that period where he was making loads of Disney films, where he could have, you know, instead of doing that, it could have been like this generation's Arnie. Yeah. And it, it just really disappointed me.
2: So he's he's still got deep. some in the pipeline, though, hasn't he? He's, um, I saw a trailer for Snitch. Earlier this week, which looks at least interesting, yeah. I don't know if you've seen. Yeah, that looks quite interesting. And um, and again, I kind of think GI Joe Retaliation of the Cobra or whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> um, I think that could be quite good.
0: And wasn't wasn't is that, wasn't he that in, weird? Wasn't it in a film <laughs> yeah. where he was a tooth fairy or something with Stephen Merchant in it?
1: Yeah, the tooth fairy. Yeah. Sounds... <laughs> <laughs> Is it basically The Rock with a little pair of fairy wings on?
0: No, I mean, if it was brilliant, but it's not. Um, so yeah, that's <laughs> that's Journey Two. Um, if you've got a kid who's a bit of an idiot, they'd probably like it, <laughs> or they just like colours and things. You know, very easily distracted. But like I said, it's got like an idea for a good film, like a good kids adventure film, but it just doesn't follow it through because there's just too much going on. It just doesn't stop two seconds to explain anything.
2: Okay. I won't watch it then.
0: No, I wouldn't bother. Uh,
2: so we, we've broken our cardinal rule then, haven't we? Yeah. That is Damn it.
0: That is a film myth busted there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And the other film I watched was It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, I hadn't seen it before, but I just knew what was going to happen. It's been, been parodied in pretty much every TV programme ever. Yeah. Obviously, Man going through hard times, angel, you know, wants to kill himself. So an angel comes down and goes, "Well, I wouldn't kill yourself because you're a nice guy, and this is what everything would be like if you weren't around." And then they all find out, and then he decides to live. It's a it's a really good film. Don't get me wrong, but it's sort of there's no point in explaining the plot to you because everyone knows it. Yeah,
2: first hour and a half is so depressing. Yeah, as well, not even the bit where he's killing himself, but leading up to that and yeah. the fact that. Um, he always stays in the town. You know, he could have gone off and been, you know, it's, it's really sad. Um, yeah. but yeah, oh, it's a wonderful film. I love
0: it. Yeah. And remember, no man is a failure who has friends. Yes. There you go. P.S. Thanks for the wings. <laughs>
2: oh. Oh, lovely stuff. Yeah.
0: Just, but that was the only thing that let it down for me is I knew what was going to happen because I've, I've seen it like, parried on everything from mm. The Simpsons to Fresh Prince of Bel-Air.
1: Yeah,
2: I was like that when I watched it. I watched it a few years ago for the first time. But it actually, it surprised me that I couldn't get so much enjoyment out of it, even though I knew what was going to happen. Mm. I mean...
0: and Well, Jerry, what have you watched this week? Um, our Twitter followers who are on Twitter
2: on a Saturday night will know that I watched Prometheus... Um, yes the other day, uh, is
1: that the
0: Alien prequel?
2: It is, yes. Yeah. Or is that <laughs> no, going, is that just
0: some... to, is that just going to annoy people by saying it's an Alien prequel?
2: Well, who knows? I think that's the intention, anyway. I mean, I had some crap excuse for uh, for not watching it the first time, having surgery or some some other such nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Some some <laughs> shit. Sorry about that one. Um, so I, I kind of purposely de- decided not to watch this until I could get a, a sort of high-quality viewing of it, because I couldn't, I couldn't see it in the cinema. Uh, okay. Oh, so last night was the first time you watched it then? I thought you were re rewatching it. No, was... No, no. Okay, yeah. oh, okay. It, it came out the week I had my operation. Yeah, of course, yeah. It pretty much screwed me over for watching it, because by the time I could actually get out and go to the cinema, it wasn't on anymore. Thank you, NHS. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously everyone who listens to this on a regular basis knows how much of an Alien fan I am. So I I don't know whether I'm the kind of people that he needs to convince or the people who are already convinced by it. And that was sort of, I was trying to work that out whether, you know, because there's been a lot of talk about this, there's been a lot of problems with it. And I actually really enjoyed it. You know, I I really did. It was a bit of a mess, especially as it Mm. it got more and more of a mess as it went on. But I mean, there's a really compelling vision behind it all. I think you can see what Ridley Scott's trying to do. There's a real sort of, what he wants to do with this film is brilliant. Mm. I think what well, he's he's let down by the script writing, to be honest.
1: And I think it was just, it was badly written. The early parts, particularly. Damon Lindelof. Was just, <laughs> I, I
2: just uh, and the early bits, right? The early parts are really good. I, I yeah. genuinely felt that sense of excitement and wonder that they feel at like these exciting discoveries and the origins of mankind and the sort of trepidation and, nervousness and excitement that they've got and that's sort of the strongest period of the film those early parts and then it, it sort of just gets a bit confused it slowly unravels a bit more and, and things start going unexplained and you you want them explained and they're just sort of glazed over and there's sort of disconnects it's questions that i want answering they just aren't answered, or things that don't fit as it went on but still even though even though that was happening it was still entertaining mm. You know, I found it entertaining. It entertained me, and visually, absolutely stunning film. Mm. And I'm, I'm glad I sort of waited to to not do the horrible, nasty, camp pirate thing, mm. and, and
1: watched it in in real good quality because it, it was fantastic. Yeah, and I I don't know. I, I feel like what the film that Ridley Scott wanted to make and that
2: sort of comes through at times is brilliant. The film that he ended up making is a bit rushed. I don't know whether it's the script, whether it's the editing whether he's just, he sort of lost concentration with it as he went, you know, as in the later parts, whether, Mm. or whether it's a combination of all those things, but there's a real sort of, there's something very pure and and good about what it's trying to do underneath it all, but it's, it's sort of let down. It's like a failed attempt really at at making a great film, if that makes sense. I can, I can see that. Yeah. I, 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 I've got it at home on Blu-ray and I haven't watched it since the cinema yet. And I'm planning to before the end of this year because it's currently sat in my top 20 and I need to work out whether it deserves a place or not. It's it's not the best film I've seen this year by any stretch the imagine. Like you say, there's a lot of flaws there. Um, and, and again, yeah, towards the end, it does seem to go off in a 101 different directions. And, um but yeah.
1: yeah, we we all kind of expected it to get a director's cut release, didn't we? On DVD, yeah. and
0: it will somewhere, they're... undoubtedly.
2: Yeah, there's some <clears throat> extended scenes on the um, on the Blu-ray, uh, and I've read about these. I've still not seen them yet, but I've read about them, and apparently it explains a couple more things. Uh, it certainly picked up. It explained why David. Uh, I I had a kind of. Inkling as to why David put the uh, the black goo in what's his name, who looks like Tom Hardy, um, his drink, but apparently there's a scene on the Blu-ray which kind of like properly explains why he did it, um, and it explains that he's been in contact with um, old man Guy Pierce throughout the entire kind of voyage and stuff like that so that you know it it starts to explain a lot of things I mean, that is um, up, but it's not it's yeah. not it's like they kind of rushed it out a bit yeah I mean? yeah definitely and I, I do i do think i think an extra 20 minutes or so would have made this film mm. even better um
1: because it, it definitely felt like a film where in sort of editing someone's, someone it, somewhere said, this is too long. And some it's really out. weird
2: because it's only two hours, three minutes long, I think. I'm I'm yeah. pretty sure it's literally only just a shade over two hours. And these That's days, incredible. I was it's really surprised. surprised. Yeah, I was really surprised by that because these days, you know, Skyfall was two hours, 20 minutes for You know, it is a two hour, 20 minute grown up film is almost expected these days so i was surprised that ridley obviously cut those for for pacing purposes uh but at the same time i think yeah probably it does suffer from that yeah i think i think one of the things i was thinking about the editing as well is i think he's trying to create a sense of momentum
1: and trying to get it mm. a bit more frantic and more quick as yeah like i was on, and actually that just, it makes it a bit of a mess but if you sort of paste it more evenly
2: throughout it would work probably a bit better yeah. or, there, without, without wanting to spoil anything there was an event towards the end of the film in the final third of the film that was pretty important and mm. it happens to a main character and something very major happens and then no one reacts to this at all outside of this mm. they experience this thing which is very major and traumatic and, and hugely significant yeah, it's just never it. mentioned again. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know yeah. what you mean. Um, which is, it, in itself, is an impressive sequence. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean in terms of um, how the characters react to it. And I think I do think there were too many characters. Full stop. In the film as yeah. well, which meant that a few of them were underwritten. Unlike Alien, where you had every single one of those crew members um, had a very defined character. Um, here, there are a few people. Kind of, we were just hanging around, basically, and almost a cannon fodder or a red t-shirts or whatever kind of thing. Um, you're looking at them, going, "I, I, I can't even get around to caring about you because I don't know anything about you, and I'm pretty sure you're going to be dead by the end." Whereas I never got that with Alien. Yeah, I mean, I, and some of the dialogue is poor as well. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no getting away from that but I mean despite all this when we talk about the flaws and I, I deliberately avoided reading too much about it I avoided listening to our podcast mm. that I wasn't on oh okay so I, I deliberately tried to sort of keep myself out of that and mm. I knew it was getting mixed reactions but I mean I'm going to have to look into the detail now but being the big alien fan I am I wanted to just sort of go into it kind of clean and just see how I reacted yeah. to it and I, I, I still enjoyed it I still liked it yeah. I know it's flawed but I think it was still enjoyable. And it was entertaining. It wasn't it, I, I'm not even sure it would make my top ten for this year, which is saying something. Mm. Because I'm a really big fan of, of Alien and the, and the franchise mm. in general. But it was still an enjoyable film. You know, world, I didn't come out. I, I didn't come away from it thinking, "Oh, that was really annoying. That was really shit." I can't believe I wasted two hours of my life. I, I was glad that I would watched it. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's in my top twenty at the moment. It's hanging on in my top twenty purely for the visuals. And for Numira Pace and Fast Bender's performances, that uh, they're, yeah. they're <laughs> the things that rise been. it above what, like you say, is pretty messy script at times. Yeah, the fast is brilliant in that. Yeah, as, oh, yeah. as he generally is, but he really, really is good in this. Yeah.
0: And right, Owen, what have you watched this week?
1: Well, kind of nicely tying into that, I guess I watched um, Predators, yeah, which was on Channel Four on Friday. The the Adrian Brody one. Yes. Yeah, it's released 2010, directed by Nimrod Antal, who I'd never heard of before. Um, It's technically, though, it's only supposed to be Predator 3, the third in the series. I think it was actually Jerry who said on one of the pods, like, months ago, about the Alien versus Predator films are all actually set within the Predator universe, which are separate from the Alien films anyway. So technically it should be the fifth Predator film. You know, after on right, right. original, then the one that's set in the urban Los Angeles stuff. Yeah, With,
2: uh, uh, Danny Glover, yeah.
1: With Danny Glover, yeah. That's it's a very underrated film. film, Predator 2. It's a what, sorry? It's a very underrated film, Predator 2. I really like Predator 2. Yeah, well, I think it's quite a good film. It de- definitely doesn't deserve some of the sort of stick it gets from
2: some people. It's just impossible to live up to Predator, isn't it? I, th- I think that's its problem, is that Predator yeah. is pretty much the perfect 80s action film.
1: Mm. Yeah. And, and actually, I, this does feel more like um, uh, a sequel to Predator. You oh, know, kind okay. of, it feel, feels like it's kind of skipped Predator 2 and none of the Alien versus Predator films have existed because it's um, the first film that I, I think since the original that doesn't feature any reference to Aliens because in the second, okay. second Predator there's the sort of Alien trophy. Yeah. And then, obviously, the next two actually are fighting aliens. So, you know, it's the first one since the original that doesn't have any any reference to that, which I thought was quite good. It kind of makes it um, not not unique, but it certainly makes it feel like it's part of the McTiernan's original series rather yeah. than something that, that's spun out of that. So, I quite like that. That was quite a nice nice little touch. Um, but yeah, Adrian Brody, who is bizarrely playing this action hero, it's like a very odd character to see him play Mm. Uh, but i thought he did an okay job it's a bit cliche but i thought he was alright. um you know there's lots of references to the original predator film which make it feel more like um a direct sequel so there's bits where he sort of covers himself in mud at one point to avoid the infrared vision um which by the way makes him look a bit a quarter of the size that Arnie did. Well, that's criticism. He does look very, very skinny in comparison. I bet he yeah. has time to bleed as well, doesn't he? <laughs> he, he bleeds, yeah. It's a shame. But, um, you know, and there's other things as well, just little things that are snuck in there. Like, he stabs a scorpion with a knife at one mm. point, you know, and there's a guy with a mini gun firing into the foliage yeah. and, you know, the stuff like it's I mean, it's oh, set yeah. in a jungle. So it's it's very much like that original film. So, it's more like that film was created for this series rather than being an Alien versus Predator film without yeah. the Predators. Um, and that's it. I thought the action was pretty decent in it. It never really had any um, lulls throughout the film without actually becoming spectacular at any point either. But it's quite decent. It's you know, an all right pace to it, moving on quite quickly. It's quite usual. Um If I were to criticise it, I'd say that, A, it would be greatly improved if The Rock was in it. If The Rock was playing yeah. Adrian Brody's character, not that Adrian Brody did a particularly bad job, but oh yeah, any film could be improved with The Rock. And B, it, it was a little bit brainless. I have to say, you know, it's a oh, very okay. simple premise: couple of, you know, there's a group of people. They've all got sort of questionable morals. They're all dumped into a jungle and then hunted by predators. That's basically, you know, very basic premise. But that's it doesn't do anything more than that. So I wasn't expecting a lot from it. Um, but it wasn't. It, it it wasn't better than what I expected. But it wasn't worse. It was just kind of a nice, decent film. Um, and I'll very quickly wrap it up by comparing it to some other films. If you've seen The Cube, if you've seen Cube, mm, yeah. Not the Cube, but Cube meets sort of First Blood two with half a dozen predators thrown in. That's basically what this is. Um, nice pitch. Yeah, <laughs> but it's you know it's it's all right. It's worth watching if you've got nothing else to do and you're a fan of those sort of films anyway. It's sort of like the opposite kind of sci-fi film to what Prometheus is, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it knows it's a bit silly and it plays on some of this silly stuff, and rather than thinking it's this astonishingly clever film and then falling a bit short, which is kind of what Prometheus is, although I did I did really like Prometheus. Um, mm. Yeah, it's just a typical popcorn film, really. There's no clever twists. There's no well-written dialogue. There's no layered cali- characters. It's just simple, but it's quite fun. Cool.
0: Okay, and. Um... James, what have you watched this week?
2: Um, I, I'm going to talk about two brilliant French language films that I've watched this week. So get ready for some awesome pronunciation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> look at
2: me. I'm even throw it with an accent. Yeah, look at me being all... The inter- um, first one I'm going to quickly talk about is um, Intouchables, or it might, yeah, you might have seen it as Untouchable, or maybe Intouchable, I don't know. Um, Basically, I, I, I've watched some pretty depressing films over the last week. I watched The Grey, then I watched Oslo 31st of August, and then I watched um, Amour, the new Michael Hanford film, which I'm going to talk about a bit more in depth. Um, but um, I needed something to cheer me up, and Intouchables did it. Oh, it's, um, I went in expecting a very sentimental and gently humorous and pretty formulaic culture clash comedy Um And that's pretty much what I got, but actually it was really funny, very, very funny. In fact, it's based very loosely, if you look at the kind of little video clip at the end of the two people who it's based on, uh, but it's it's based on a true story. It's it's basically a tragic, uh, a typical odd couple body movie about a millionaire, uh, white paraplegic. Uh, he only he's um, completely um, paralysed from the neck down, and he hires a young black man from an area of extreme deprivation, and uh, where I think is Paris, uh, as his personal carer. Uh, and so the opening up uh, the opening sequence is this uh, young man comes in. He just wants a signature on his form so he can get his benefits. To so say he went for an interview, and he says things that no one else would say to this rich disabled man. And so therefore he says, I want I want him for the job because. Um, he has no pity, basically. Um, and then they. they it's, it's, I can't state enough how formulaic it is. You know, they learn from each other. Um, there's a sequence where um, the rich guy's t- teaching him about classical music and then he starts to learn about earth, wind and fire and stuff like that. But it is really, really funny. I, I, I laughed out loud in the cinema every few minutes easily. Um some of the hum it reminds me a little bit of, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm in the sense that it, it's very happy to say what we're not meant to say. Uh, and also the, um, the relationship did remind me a little bit of, um, Larry David and the guy who plays, um, the blacks, the family who moved in, their, their cousin. I can't remember his name now. Um, does anyone here watch Curb? Yeah, not religiously. No, it's it's in the later series, but um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll stop that. I'll just say it is actually really funny. I expected it to be sentimental and frothy, but it was actually a lot sharper than that, and that's definitely going in my top ten of the year because it, it's. It, I've finally seen a comedy this year that I, I really like, and that's this film. Um, the complete opposite of it in that sense, though, is a more the latest film from. Michael Haneker. Um he won the Palme d'Or. It's his second Palm d'Or uh, at the Cannes Festival. It's about I went to see it with my wife on my birthday. Really, really kind of joyful. <laughs> <birthday treater>. <laughs> 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 um basically it's about uh uh Georges and Anne. Uh Georges is played by Jean Louis Trin Megon and uh Anne is played by Emmanuel Riva and it's also got Isabella Hooper. Um and they are a retired, um, they're retired music teachers in their eighties and they're still going out, still going to concerts and still living life, still very much in love. And the first few minutes are really, really sweet. Well, I say the first few minutes. Um, the very, very beginning of the film is, it's one of those films where they show you the end right at the beginning. Um, I believe I looked it up today. It's called in medias res. Um, I believe well, one of you probably already knew that already. the Latin, um, for, uh, for these stories that start at the end and then work backwards It's really interesting. It starts at the end with death and it really works in this film because you then spend the rest, the rest of the film leading towards this death that you know is going to happen. And this death is marching with an inevitability and the way that Hanukkah films his films, it works so perfectly that you know exactly what's coming and you can't do anything about it and you have to sit there in a cinema for two hours, essentially watching someone die. Because what happens, this couple who, uh, it was really interesting, I saw, I think it was Danny Lee on um, film 2012 on the BBC, said this is um, Hanukkah's most sentimental work to date. And I thought, oh, maybe the first three minutes are his most sentimental work to date. Um, the rest of it is, it is just soul destroying this film. He's not maybe- exactly a sentimental director though. No, he isn't. Um, but, it's, I, honestly, it's sold, basically, Anne has a stroke, um, and the doctors can't, uh, operate and she's in the 5% of people that won't respond, um, to surgery. So she's going to die. And we know that pretty early on in the film. And then the rest of the film just takes place within their apartment. So it really adds to the claustrophobia. We've, we we can't get out of this apartment now in the way that Anne can't get out of this apartment, essentially. Um, some visitors come and go to see her as she starts kind of fading away, uh, including her daughter, played Isabella Hooper. Um, and it's it's just... It, like I say, it, two incredible performances. In fact, um, the actor who plays Georges hadn't played, hadn't uh, had a role in cinema for the last seven years. He's a French veteran, but he'd not had a role for seven years and he came out of retirement to do this role. It's absolutely incredible. Um, it's such a touching performance between the two of a, of a couple who have spent so long in love. And then he starts to get frustrated. Um, what I would say, and it's a really weird thought that came into my head, elements of this film really remind me of a Stuart Lee comedy routine, okay? There will be shots where you think, right, okay, because because of the way we're used to mainstream cinema working, okay, and mainstream films uh, being edited, something will happen in a scene we think, right, okay, cut now, because, like, okay, I've got the point of this scene, can't move on to the next point. And it's very, you know, we're very much narrative-driven, but Hanukkah doesn't work like that, and so he will just leave a camera Focus on a room, and so it for an example, at one point, they get a visitor to the ha- uh the house, and the camera stays with the visitor while George goes to get Anne from the bedroom for possibly a minute and a half just on this one man as he's waiting for someone um but you are drawn into that world, so what uh, is it but and the reason it reminds me of Stuart Lee i anyone who's seen Stuart Lee do comment but um there's a few scenes there's a scene where a pigeon gets into the house. And George is trying to get the pigeon out of the house, and it goes on so long that you start actually getting frustrated at the film, going, "Go on, just get the damn pigeon out of the house!" And and you get really worked up. Um, and then it goes, it goes on for so long that all of a sudden you go through some kind of tantric realization uh, of the symbolism of what this scene actually means. Um. And it's almost like it has to just hammer you to death with the scene. If we go, Oh God, that's what it means. It's, it's incredible. There's, you know, there's stuff on the taps. I've got massive symbolism. Um, but, oh, it's just, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful film, but it is not an enjoyable film. I do want to put that out there right now and say, you will not enjoy this film in the sense that you go to the cinema to enjoy a film. Um, as we walked out the cinema, it was silent. It was, there must have been a hundred people in there, and I could hear a pin drop during the end credits because the end credits didn't even have any music either. It was just silence throughout the cinema. I waited until I left the actual building before I turned to my wife and said, "Sorry." <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my first word. Yeah, because it was an incredible film. We had to go, but it was an, an uncomfortable film. Um, it, but such powerful, powerful cinema. And it, it's a ten out of ten for me. It's it's a perfect film, absolutely perfect. If you get a chance to see it, please please see it because it's 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 utterly utterly incredible. Can I just pick up on that point you were saying about the, sort of the, the overly long camera shots and things? Yes. Like that? Have you seen Hidden yet? No, I've got it taped on my box to watch. Um, I, this is actually I, I know it's a, I know it's terrible. This is the first Hanukkah film I've ever seen. Um, so it was a bit of a kind of uh, you know uh, I stepped in uh, you know straighten at the deep end with this one, but is it is it similar? Is it, has he a similar style in in hidden then? Yeah, and in uh, the White Ribbon as well, it's, which is his other Palm d'Or film, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's sort of a very unflinching look, but you always get the sense with it. I find, and I'm sure it's probably the same mm-hmm. in in a more that. It's, there's a deliberate sort of sense. It's a very deliberate leaving. You know, it's mm. not, it's not like someone's accidentally left the camera running. No. It's like, this is exactly what he wants you to see at this moment. Yeah. Time. This oh, is definitely. What he wants you to focus on. Yeah. He oh, definitely. To and if you're not you used to, to that, you, you do. Sat there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And if you're not used to that, you do think oh, no, I've got the point of this scene. But, yeah, it's when you get to the end of that scene, you think, oh, no, now I know why he did it. But there's a, sometimes, for me anyway, and I, my wife felt this, my wife felt this, sometimes there's a minute you go, oh, no, come on, just come on, what's going on here? But, but you, you kind of push through that, and then the scene makes so much more sense. There's a wonderful scene very near the beginning where they're actually out, and it's before she has the stroke, and they go to a, a music recital, and it was really nice. We're in the audience and on screen, he's just got the camera faced at an audience waiting for, who are coming into a theatre to watch a music recital. And that must have been about three or four minutes of just a camera looking at an audience before a performance starts. And you just get drawn into little vignettes that are going on inside the screen. Um I, it, And you just don't see cinema like that. And it, it, it just, it made me realise that, you know, what, I, there's, I've seen some brilliant entertaining films this shit like the Avengers know, yeah, or the dark knight rises and things like that but this was filmmaking this was cinema on a completely different level to that kind of thing and it has its exactly own place and it's but if you get drawn into it it is it is art but this this was this was actually art and it was incredible the effect of the sort of the lingering shots as well it's very personal it becomes very mm-hmm. much there's something very human about the way he makes films. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like you were saying, you you focus on little vignettes in the audience and and you you sort of get drawn in. Mm. It's this very sort of human, personable, empathetic way of experiencing the film. Do you know what I mean? The camera is is part of it it and it makes you feel sort of a connection that you wouldn't otherwise get if it's sort of standard filmmaking conventions yeah. in a way. That... Oh, definitely. Yeah, it, it does draw you in completely. And it makes you, it, it's incre- It makes you feel things that another director wouldn't be able to do. Um, I'm, I'm now determined to watch everything this man's ever made. I'm, I'm absolutely determined to do that. And that more had such an Hidden effect on me. Pardon, sorry. That was the reaction I had from Hidden as well. I was like, yeah. I have to go out and watch everything. Yeah. <laughs> everything else um, it's it's kind of like something's been the scales have been removed from my eyes. It's like I, I like I say I've seen and enjoyed some amazing films this year, but I watched this, um and all of a sudden I just thought, wow, that that's filmmaking that I haven't really. I've, it's like when colour first happened or something. Yeah, you know, it's ridiculous, but this made me think, God, I didn't know people made films like that. That's incredible. Wow. It's got subtitles, though, Steve. Good. (laughs) You don't want to read.
0: (laughs) No, I I don't read. It's for nerds. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, then, on to our main review, which only two of us have seen this week. Seven Psychopaths, James, tell everyone about the film.
2: Okay, so, yeah, it's the... um... It's the sophomore uh, film, the second album syndrome. (laughs) Difficult second one from uh, uh, Martin, is it McDonough? Yeah, yeah. Um, Who made In Bruges, which I absolutely (laughs) love, uh, was a real kind of surprise hit a couple of years ago. Um, It again stars Colin Farrell, uh, but we've also got (laughs) Sam Rockwell, Christopher Walken. Woody Harrelson, they're the three main ones. A few special guests like Tom Waits as well. Um, And a lovely little cameo from Harry Dean Stanton. And it's about, um, believe it or not, it's about a writer in Hollywood called Martin who's suffering with um, writer's block when trying to write a screenplay. So he starts to write a film called Seven Psychopaths. Um, And what happens is a kind of Charlie Kaufman-esque, very, very meta mess (laughs) mess <laughs> where uh, yeah uh where the characters that colin farrell's character martin are writing about end up in his life would that be about right steve
0: um more or less
2: yeah, yeah. um or, oh plus yeah. there's some dog napping going on there's that kind of like uh a very very much a kind of b-movie gangster plot going on mm. in there as well oh. yeah Right. I mean, first question. If anybody cares, by the way, the Boston Society of Film Critics Awards are going on right now. This uh, mm. um Emmanuel Riva won Best Actress. By the way, out of them all. Oh, excellent! Um, yeah. But the for award yeah. for Best Ensemble Cast has gone to Seven Psychopaths. So, does it work in terms? of, there's a lot of big hitters there.
0: No, it's, it's terrible.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's just I. I I'm going to disagree with Steve Slot. I, I I do think one of its strengths is its cast I think uh, its writing is a mess and isn't as funny as it should be that's my main disappointment with this is it if you've seen the trailer actually most of the jokes are in the trailer and this is a 110 minute film um,
1: uh, I was going to say because there's the bit in the trailer with Christopher Walker and he's saying about um, when he gets the gun pointed at him yeah he says, "Put your hands up." And he
2: goes,
1: "No." Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. Yeah, and actually, in the film, that's
2: a really poignant scene. That's actually not a funny scene. That's actually a very, very poignant scene. Um, <laughs> what I would say is Sam Rockwell and Christopher Walken are by far the best things in this film. Is, is Jimmy would f- you agree f- with f- that, Steve?
0: I, f- I think there's some good performances in a bad film.
2: Okay. Um, I think. I think. I
1: think. I think Sam
2: everything.
0: I think Sam Rockwell, um, Colin Farrell and Christopher Walken are all reasonably good in it, but it's just a film that doesn't work. It seems to be trying to be too clever and it fails, or too referential or too
2: meta and it fails. I'd agree that it does try to be too clever and fails. I'd, I'd say that it succeeds in areas, though. It's going to be a Coen Brothers film. Do you know what I mean? There's a definite Coen Brothers vibe about it. I'd say there's a Coen Brothers vibe, but also very, very much a Charlie Kaufman vibe. It's... Imagine Coen Brothers characters in a Charlie Kaufman film. Does that help? Sort of. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, there is a lot of meta, um, you know, struggling writer type thing going mm. on, you know, kind of like adaptation or, um, Uh, being John Malkovich, you know, though there's that kind of bizarreness going on in it, but at the same time, there's a lot of kind of weird criminals who you would see in a Coen Brothers film definitely. So Woody Harrelson plays a gangster who is completely in love with his Shih Tzu dog, um, and when that gets kidnapped, he is going around killing people just to get his dog back. That's quite Coen Brothers, um. Uh, the fact that Sam Rockwell and Christopher Walken are two uh, criminal, like kind of low-level criminals who make their money kidnapping dogs, now returning the reward is kind of very Cohen Brothers. I, I can definitely see that. Um, what I did, there were some brilliant bits in the film. There was a number of bits that worked really well in isolation. I thought. Um, basically, because Colin Farrell is writing a film about seven psychopaths, sometimes he'll talk about a few of these different backstories of these psychopaths. And I thought those bits were played really nicely. There was one about an Amish psychopath. There's this whole story about an, uh, an Amish man who loses his daughter and um decides to basically haunt the man who killed her for the rest of his life and i won't go into that story because it's a brilliant story it's kind of almost like an edgar Allan poe short story and that bit's done really nicely and harry stanton's in that section as well that's really really good there's a great section with a uh, a buddhist monk psychopath from vietnam um Which again, and I think actually they're the bits that work best for me are the bits where Colin Farrell is talking about stories for his film rather than the stuff that's actually happening to Colin Farrell and Christopher and Sam Rockwell. What would you say about that, Steve?
0: Yeah, I I just can't really get on with the film at all, to be honest. I mean, but I, (laughs) but I think those bits were quite good, you know, and interesting where he was going into the background of the. The characters that he was developing, and you know, like the monk, the Buddhist monk as well, and how the story kept changing to fit the kind of film he wanted. Just it was just trying to be too clever and too meta, and it just fell on its ass because of that. It, if, I think if you removed that, it could have been quite a good film, but it just seemed to be
2: it. it, it was. It too, did fall under the weight of its own. Um, pretension at times. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely I mean,
0: they, they, like, but like I said, there were good performances from the, the three main... Mm. You know, Woody Harrelson wasn't really in it that much, but the the three main no. the three main actors yeah. put in good performances, but the film didn't work with me. But I mean, mm. on Colin Farrell, I tend to like him in films like this and in Bruges better than when he's mm. doing a big Kind of blockbuster like Total Recall, or definitely, or he wasn't plays, wasn't he in The or, Irish
2: Loser really yeah. well?
0: <laughs> or he was in, or he was in Alexander or, or Miami yeah. Vice when he's in sort of like a a blockbuster film like that. I don't really like him, but when he's in In or something like this, I prefer him because I don't know why. I really why.
2: liked him in Horrible Bosses as well. I know mm. that a lot of people didn't really like that film very much, but I thought he was, I thought he was funny in Horrible Bosses as well. Do you but... know
1: what film he's really good in actually, yeah. Twilight. The fright night really
2: I've still not seen that, but I really want to see it because I really like David Tennant as well. David, so yeah, like.
1: David Tennant's quite good, but he's he's very um, theatrical. Yeah, but yeah, Colin Farrell's brilliant in. The fright I keep night meaning
2: remakes. to watch that actually. Um,
1: but yeah, I'm Christopher
2: focused. Walken. Like, sorry. Christopher Walken is brilliant in this in yeah. terms of the sense. That if you watch Christopher Walken in film, you know what you're going to get. And even in the Guardian this week, he said. Um, he only ever he always seems to just be himself on film and people seem to like it. Because um, he's got the most incredible voice. Mm. Uh, uh, and in a couple of sections, in fact, one of my favourite bits of the film was when he was narrating the, the, his idea for how the Buddhist monk story should end. And it reminded me a little bit of his very small section in Pulp Fiction. Mm. And I could listen to Christopher Walken tell me a story. Like, if this had been 90 minutes of Christopher Walken telling me a story, I probably would have liked it even more. Um, Sam, There's there's a bit near the end where Sam Rockwell comes up with his idea for a massive shootout at the end of the film. That is the highlight of the film for me. And again, just goes to prove that Sam Rockwell is incredible. My other big issue with the film, and they actually make a joke about it in the film, which is, to me is like, don't make a joke about it, fix it. Um, it's the fact that all the women in this film are terribly underwritten and terrible characters. There
0: really seems to be um, this four that I can think of, which is Colin Farrell's girlfriend, um, yeah. Christopher Walken's wife, Yeah. Um, and I've forgotten ever to oh um Woody Harrelson's um, girlfriend, girlfriend, and the w- the woman who walked his dogs.
2: Yeah, <laughs> um, and, and they hooker. make a joke about how um, Martin, who's writing the film, um, Christopher Walken reads and says that his women are terribly written in here. They're either all going to die or they're really stupid and it's like and that's actually what happens in the film yeah it's like oh uh and it's like don't make a joke about it you actually write a decent female character <laughs> it's you know that um that's actually actually to be fair Christopher Walken's wife's character in it does does a very good job and that that's a bit better but yeah it, do you know what surprised me for a film that's only one hour 50 and is a comedy, a gangster comedy, essentially, from the guy who did In Bruges. I found myself looking at my watch far too often. Um, It sags horribly in the middle. And again, they make a joke about that as well, um, because the screenwriter, Martin, says he wants to do... He he actually says, I want the first half of the film to be like a big gangster, you know, a really good gangster film, but the second half, I want it to be about guys in the desert chatting shit. And, And then the film does that. It's like, but that's not the film I want to see. Um. So, it, I kind of admire it, stick, it. I admire it for it trying to be something different. I admire it for trying to be something clever. But if but if those don't come off, you end up looking really stupid. And I don't think I'd, I'd give this film a six and a half out of ten personally if I was going to rate it. Um. It it it's it's it. There's enough. Laughs in it and enough funny bits in it for me to not feel like I completely wasted my time. Although I, I believe Steve disagrees.
0: I was starting to think, you know, I could leave. With, you know, towards the end, I thought I could just leave now and go and see sightseers and, and do that instead. It was. Yeah. I just didn't enjoy it. I just didn't feel. You know, like I said, the, the the characters were quite good, but the film wasn't, and I just thought I was really disinterested in it. I just kept thinking, it's got finish soon. It's just boring me. I really couldn't. Mm. I really couldn't get into it, and I just think it was because it was, you know, too referential, trying to reference not other Hollywood films and other films, but you know, different films. Dif- well, reference itself, and then reference loads of different film tropes and you know, yeah. things like that, and it just didn't work for me. It um,
2: felt, you know, what, it felt like um, it felt like a script that Shane Black might have just finished and thought, "Well, that's my first draft." That's so, yeah. Um. So Shane Black, who did, um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Last Action Hero and, uh, Lethal Weapon. Oh, and um, that one that me and Owen really enjoyed for the first time this year, um, Last Boy Scout. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Shane Black wrote all those films and this uh, you know and they always kind of reference action films in them and talk about you know they're obsessed with films and action and stuff like that. And this felt like a first draft. Of a shame, black film. Where he then go right. I now need to kind of tighten this up. I need to remove that joke. I need to. You know, it, that's that's the problem here. It it feels like it didn't go through anywhere near enough drafts or have someone actually look at it and go. Actually, I think you need to do this. it feels like it just feels really unfinished and rushed. And there's some great bits to it, but as a whole, it's a mess.
0: Yeah, I think. I agree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> um. Well, I think that's about all for Seven Psychopaths. Yeah. Exactly. So. <laughs> not the most popular film we've seen this year. No. Next week, though, could well be. Possibly. Mm. Who knows? What's the Hobbit? What? Yes, the Hobbit.
2: Not it out much hope of it ever being better than Lord of the Rings. I'm not going to lie. No. No, I'm going into this with the lowest expectations. I've gone into a uh, film about Tolkien's Middle-earth. I'm going into the the lowest expectations. Only the blockbusters that have been out this year. Yeah, (laughs) maybe that will go in its favour, actually. Maybe that will go in its favour. All all those things I was much more excited about.
0: is Is it partly because they've ended up stretching it from what was going to be one film now into three?
2: That's one issue I've got. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not looking forward to going in. Going right, well, I'm only going to see the first thirty three percent of a story. That's mm. that's mm. annoying. And doesn't the other? He's fully in control of it because of that, either. Mm. And yeah. the, it wasn't the, the Hobbit... other thing is the uh, forty eight frames per second, which right. I am. I'm going to go and watch it in forty eight frames per second um, HD because it is showing near me in three D, um, and so I'll be able to report back. But the first reports I'm hearing are slightly disconcerting as well.
0: And there wasn't the Hobbit one book, whereas obviously the the, the trilogy was yeah. three books. So it makes sense to do three different films. But in this apparently, one, apparently, I don't know how many yeah, pages it, the Hobbit was, but you know, it's one
2: book. It's it's not a long book. Mm. It's three hundred odd pages. It's not a long book. It's probably shorter than one at least one of the um, the separate Lord of the Rings books. Is, to be honest, is that um, is that
0: studios taking control and wanting to milk? A cash cow for all it's worth. I think
2: there's a bit of that, but I think there's a bit, I think there's a bit of ego from Peter Jackson in the sense that he thinks people want to see three more Peter Jackson films in Middle Earth. I honestly think that. But then uh, which is f- why he's putting, he's putting Legolas in it. He's not in the book mm. and he, he's trying to build a bridge.
0: And he's the, he's wor- he's making, the
2: worst, he's the worst one. He's making pre, he's making the Phantom Menace and um, he's making the prequels like George Lucas mm. did. But this, Le- this is my worry. Is he going, this is my Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and uh, Revenge of the Sith.
0: But Legolas is the, is, the, is the worst one of the lot. I mean...
2: No. So he's already in there. He, he, owes, he's or, he owes
0: Orlando Bloom something, because that bloke can not done anything for a long time. Yeah,
2: yeah no, no, I know. Legolas is he sets Gimli up for a lot of lights. That's us be fair. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mind um, Bloom as Legolas, because he was believable as a non-human elf, I suppose.
1: was pretty not emotional.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is Gimli in The Hobbit? Don't think so, no. That's a shame. Why can't they write him in yeah. instead of the shitty elf? Yeah,
2: well, they've got, um, they've got well, different dwarves who all sing. That's the other thing I'm not looking forward to. Um, I don't know how much of this film is going to be dwarves singing.
0: Hi-ho, hi-ho, if it's off the work we go, than, is it? If
2: it's more than ten minutes of... If it's more than ten minutes of that, I'm gonna be really fucking annoyed. <laughs> well, we but hey, you never know; it might be good. Yeah. Also, um, in other news, on, on sort of new films coming out, my mom went to see a preview of Life of Pi. Oh, i we're going to see one on Tuesday. Yeah, she said, was, and, and she's a big fan of the book, like I am. Mm. Um, and admittedly, this is a you know a woman in her early fifties, so. Mm. I not be the same demographic as most of our listeners, but she said it was really, really good, and sort of did a did a good interpretation of the book. So I'm very excited. I've heard that it's very impressive 3D as well, so that'll be interesting. Mm. I, I'm going to some kind of free preview of it, so I'm hoping there's uh-huh, okay. i hope I'll get the 3D. No, I haven't. No, no, I'm coming into it completely fresh. That'd mm. Yeah, that'd be an interesting mm. look. But, um The other thing is just on the website. um coming up this week, we're, we're probably going to be a bit quiet, there'll be a few reviews and things like that up this week, Um, Decade in Film is taking a sabbatical until um, early next year because we're going to start our, on Friday uh, the 12 films of Christmas every day, um, there'll be an article about a different Christmas film as we lead up to Christmas Day, um, and also next Sunday is the site's one year anniversary since I set it up as a small blog for me to catalogue um how many films on the i m d b top two fifty i i'd seen so there'll be a number of articles about the new i m d b top two fifty about what we 've done on the site this year and there'll be a small redesign and stuff like that as well so that 's quite exciting it's gone from a
0: small blog to a slightly bigger small blog in that slightly year. bigger blog yeah. with you <laughs> lot <Yeah. laughs> how how many podcasts have we done
2: um do you know what i think it it must be 40 considering we're doing two a week For a little bit as Mm. well I'll have a look at that and I'll get back To you on
0: that uh, Right so yes that's it for this week Next week will be The Hobbit Uh, The week after that we're hoping to put out A triple bill Christmas film special Then our end of year Review and then we'll be going into Normal film reviewing again After the new year Or into the new year uh, thanks for listening, thanks to everyone for joining me and thanks to Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com for the music. <laughs>